the market is ready to explode for good reason, like really grow. It's really ready to go. What we are unfortunately seeing is that there's a huge kind of a pipeline and that pipeline can only get through that the ITC. So if the ITC somehow either becomes refundable or it's somehow changed where it allows more capacity for the ITC incentive tax credit to expand, I think you will see a lot more growth. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 47 coming at you right now. Glad to have you guys on board as we are each and every episode. And today's episode does not disappoint as usual as we welcome to the program Mr. Mohammed Alrai, President and Head of Development over at Ray Energy, longtime solar advocate as well as developer in the great state of California. Mohammed is going to get into some of the challenges he and his company have faced, but some of the things that they've done to expand and continue to in innovate over in the great state of California. But before we get into the Ray Energy story, let's talk with our own CEO and founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, and let him tell you exactly what we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here, president and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled recs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at erenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW-1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Of course, as he said, you can go find out more information about the company over at erenew.net. That's erenew.net. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our strategic partner, Intelometry, one of the premier software innovators in the energy space. That's Intelometry, and you can find more about them over at intelometry.com. So let's jump into today's episode with Mr. Muhammad Alrai. Lots to get into today, talking about his history in the renewable industry, 20 plus years that he's been in it, a little bit about what they've done over in the state of California, working with some of the CCAs there, as well as the energy storage aspect of it and kind of what he sees as the energy storage plus solar projects that him and his team are working on, as well as some of the challenges in working overseas, but more importantly, what he and his team have his eyes on in 2021 and beyond. So without further ado, let's welcome to the program, Mr. Mohammed Alra from Ray Energy. Calpine is one of the largest independent producers. And uh, when I joined them in the late 90s, they had a thousand or so megawatts of, of generation. That journey was amazing because we went through a huge growth from only a thousand megawatt natural gas power plants development all the way to 3,000 megawatt of natural gas. And we had geyser, the geysers too with the big geothermal. That really helped me to learn more about the energy business, the natural gas sector, 
the electricity sector and how they interact. Uh, you know, for example, uh, natural gas is, uh, is very important in the air car market in California market back in the 90s because it was it set the pricing for electricity. So that that was an amazing experience, and and at Calpine, you know, with mentors like John Rocchio and others who really helped me learn about the business, really got me rooted in this sector, and I think that was an amazing experience. And uh, and also Calpine really was an entrepreneur organization, and that organization really uh, gave me a sense of being an entrepreneur is is really exciting and amazing. It's challenging. There's a lot of challenges with it, and I think that's why eventually I kind of ventured with. Uh, uh, Ray Energy. After Calpine, that's when I shifted my career from natural gas to solar. I joined BP Solar in, in their offices in San Francisco, and I was leading the development for them in the WEC market. And there, it was kind of interesting uh, getting in. Uh, when I got in, they were transitioning from manufacturing to becoming more developer. But there was so many these really smart PhDs really gave me a lot of knowledge and gave me and educated me about the solar sector and the, the history of it, the technology. So that gave me a really good education on, on this sector. And, and uh, there we developed several hundred megawatt of development projects. And, and we were, you know, growing really in great strides. And because of various reasons, uh, you know, BP at that point decided to get rid of the, or sell off the renewable energy. That's when I ventured on my own and was part of a couple of these renewable energy development shops where we would go in, develop projects, take them all the way to the end, mostly with solar. Six years ago, I kind of launched uh, Ray Energy with the goal of being global renewable energy company focusing on solar plus energy storage. That's the kind of the new thing that we started working on. And I think ever since it's been it's been amazing and we're very happy where, where we're at now and, and we're looking forward to future success. So when we launched in six years ago, at that point, California was the IOUs were pretty filled up the IUs met their uh, renewable energy uh, targets. So th there was not a whole lot of procurement for renewable energy. So that's why we kind of shifted our strategy to go outside the U.S. and even outside California and Florida and countries like Jordan. We've had some good success there. But, you know, as a California resident living in the Bay Area and seeing kind of you know, we've always kept an eye on what's going on in the state, and especially with the wildfires that really devastated some certain communities, but also with the future closure of the nuclear power plants, there would be a lot of challenges that the state is facing. And we, we saw that last year and even the year before, where people lost power, right? So, and that's unacceptable for an advanced economy like the California. So, so we, at that point, decided as a company, let's shift back to California, focusing on the state, but not just come in and, and do what everybody else is doing, you know, come back and, and try to find solutions to some of these challenges that the state's having or is facing. So, for example, we see solar only or wind only is not really helpful in, in trying to solve these challenging uh, issues that we're facing with the grid and uh, not having reliability and resiliency. So, for example, we I want to talk about the project that we're very excited about, the Vikings Energy Farm, which is, uh, I call it big storage, small solar, right? Where you've seen in the last few years, there's, you know, big solar project and they add uh, storage is kind of an add-on. No, we've kind of flipped the, the page here. We're saying, no, no, we want to do big storage. 
smaller solar. And I think that is gonna be uh, improvements to how the grid kind of operates and, and improvements to uh, improve the reliability and the resiliency to the grid. So the Vikings Energy Farm is our kind of most recent project. And we have other projects in the pipeline in California. Actually, we have a project in Arizona too. And uh, we're very excited about kind of the pipeline that we've built in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, what makes Vikings Energy Farm really special as a project is that the, the largest size energy storage really helps us to bring a lot more generation in the evening when it's needed, right? So well, the problem right now, though, the challenges that we're facing in California is that we have a, this duck curve that everybody kind of reference to. And there's so much solar, so much wind in the kind of in the daytime that really uh, generation, a lot of that generation kind of stops producing in the evening, uh, especially solar. So what we're doing is we're just, you know, taking all that generation and storing it in an energy storage and then shifting it in the evening. The Vikings Energy Farm project is located in Imperial County. It's outside this town called Holtville. It's a place that we've developed projects in the past. So we have experience developing projects, similar uh, projects. The project size is 150 megawatt at four hours. So the total capacity will have 600 megawatt hour, which is a fairly large, large size project. The solar piece is 100 megawatt. So you see where the difference here, we've made it a bigger storage, a smaller solar, because we see this as a really the energy that would be dispatched, especially in the evening to help that duck curve situation that I mentioned earlier. The project is going through the permitting process. We're very excited about where it stands. We believe it would be approved you know, in Q1 of 2022. And uh, the interconnection application should be completed by also Q, Q1 of 2022. And we'll be ready to go into construction in Q2, Q3 of 2022 to come online by uh, June 2023. And, and this is a, a really what we see the new breed of projects that you will see in California. We're kind of uh, taking a lead role in this efforts because we see the, the growth in, in energy storage really helping. And, and in addition, you will see folks developing uh, standalone energy storage projects in, in California. Again, in that help in improving the resiliency and the reliability of the grid as, as we are facing these some of these challenges. When you talk about having the 150 <laughs> megawatts of battery storage, are you going to be filling those battery storages up with energy from the solar farm, or are you going to pull it off the grid when price is more favorable late, late at night after you're done using it? How are you going to operate that? To be able to take advantage of the ITC, the incentive tax credit for solar plus energy storage, the battery will, will be charged by the solar project. And we've kind of designed it in a way that it, all that solar will be, you know, the solar capacity and, and the solar resource in, in the Imperial Valley is one of the best in the country, actually. Uh, so there's a lot of generation that we will be uh, having from these solar projects and all of that will go in to charge the batteries and fill them up for that four hours. And then and then once they fill up, then any additional capacity, then the solar project will put additional capacity into the grid and, and sell that power, right? Uh, but in uh, kind of that 6 p.m. clock, that's when uh, energy storage will kick in. And, and for the next four hours, they'll kind of be generating that, that 150 megawatt uh, of capacity. And we will be doing this daily. 
Did your buyer, did they put the RFP looking for that type of situation being 150 and 100? Or did you come up with that and how you answered the RFP? We're very excited about the recent power purchase agreement that we executed with San Diego Community Power. So this process came out from RFP process that they ran back in, in 2020, and we were one of the people who got shortlisted. And the strategy that we are referring to was something we came up with because we are able to sell them certain products. So solar projects in California has multiple projects, it has you know energy, you have the RECs, and you have the RA resource advocacy, and look whether it's system or RA, you know, system or local RA. And 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 what we are we were able to do with San Diego Community Power, we were able to sell them some of these products so they could, we can have revenue at, oh, for a long uh, you know twenty year contract, but the rest then could be uh, you know sold into the market uh, separately. That's what makes this project very unique. I think there is really something very unique feature that we have seen in the last few years in California and the California energy market, which is this emergence of these uh, community choice aggregators, also referred to as CCAs. They themselves, they have very aggressive renewable goals. Uh, we're talking about 100% renewable or 50% renewable. So to meet uh, those goals, they, they have to do very aggressive procurement. And, and they're out in the market issuing RFPs on a regular basis. What makes them very unique versus other off-takers that we've had to deal with in California and others is that they uh, they work with developers like us in a collaborative partnership, and they and together, you know, they you know, we once we are shortlisted with them, then it becomes almost like a partnership of trying to solve some of the challenges that the state and and they actually have come up with some very creative uh, RFPs. For example, they recently issued the CCAs as part of kind of a consortium issued the you know, long duration energy storage, as you call it, RFP. So they were looking for you know, energy storage that will uh, provide them power for eight, 12 hours beyond the, the typical four hours you see from batteries. So that's a very creative request to the market uh, that the CCAs issued. Because of that, we, we really uh, see our relationship with the CCAs in more of like a partnership and we're together coming to solve uh, some of the challenges that the state are facing. And that's what we see potentially standalone energy storage. That's what we see potentially geothermal. And because of my experience at Calpine, Calpine was a very large geothermal owner. As a company, we are embarking on a process to develop multiple geothermal projects in California. What makes geothermal very interesting is that it is a base load. So it acts like natural gas or nuclear, and but has zero or very low emission, if any. And I think that that really helps um, the you know the state meets their targets, their their carbon reduction targets. Uh, so we're very excited about that development program that we're embarking on. Developing geothermal is a lot more challenging, and it takes time and capital. So we see that kind of we see us kind of developing these uh, solar plus storage for the next couple of years, but kind of the. The 2024, 2025, and beyond, we see us really, you know, continuing to develop and bring in these geothermal projects that we're developing now online. 
because generally it takes you know two years to develop a solo project plus solo energy storage, and and it takes a year to to build it. Uh, with with geothermal, it might take a little bit longer uh, because of you know you have to identify and and test the resource. The building it takes a little bit longer than solar. So so that's a kind of also part of our company's goal of finding solutions, right? As these nuclear power plants and all these. You know, I, I doubt there is going to be any large-scale natural gas power plant. I'm talking about the 500 megawatt. I mean, I don't think any any project will be developed or built in California in the future. They just the state doesn't want them, and they won't be built. So, if those two options are taken off the table, nuclear and natural large-scale natural gas power plants, then what other options? So, of course, solar plus energy storage, but geothermal we see as a, as a really great option for us. And, and we're very excited about being part of that, that kind of the state where they are asking us to come up with creative solutions to solve real problems. Yeah, doing business overseas is interesting. You know, what is important for me as a person in the renewable energy business, I want to reduce kind of carbon emissions worldwide, right? So, Our goal when we sat down and set our strategies, we wanted to identify countries that don't have a lot of natural resources uh, and they were importing uh, oil or natural gas from other countries. So we looked at some of the countries in Europe, we've identified countries like in the Middle East, North Africa. So we looked at countries like Jordan, where it doesn't have a lot of oil or natural gas uh, resources. So, and they import basically 90% of their fuel. So that country, for example, would be a good, great candidate to do solar. And, and they have uh, implemented rules and laws that allow that solar. And now they have almost, the whole grid is like 5,000 megawatt or 4,000 megawatts, excuse me. And now they have around 2,000 megawatt of renewable, both solar and, and, and wind. So that, I see it as a success story. And we're very excited about that. And I think the key to developing overseas is to have folks who are familiar with doing business overseas uh, internationally is different. It's different and it, different, not in a, in a good or bad way, just different because the sales cycle takes longer. There's a lot of RFPs that you have to go through to end up winning, but also uh, some of these locations, they, the land and any connection is kind of provided to you where in the U S there is this merchant development you have to do, right? You got to develop, you find the land, do the interconnection. Where there, they've actually sometime in the identified the the identified the locations, and and also some some of the countries that you know are looking for renewable energy. There, as a, some of these countries are um, face challenging financial situations, right? So. Uh, some countries in Africa. So financing for them is, has been fairly challenging. And, you know, you need government guarantees or sovereign guarantees to be able to finance any of these projects. So, but developing overseas, I mean, you need people in the ground to help you uh, get through the process, finding kind of the, the right lawyers who can help you negotiate contracts with the, for the land or other, other things. But also, um, you know, you need to have what they call DFIs, I think, development financing institutions. You know, people like IFC or, or EBRD, which is kind of, they specialize in providing financing for these countries that does is not, you know, they don't have a big commercial lending sector. Those countries in Africa or Middle East, some of the countries in Middle East. So, so I think, you know, building a relationship with those DFIs are very important because then they can help you finance these projects. Because 
you know, it's not easy to finance this project without the DFIs being involved. But um, I've, I've enjoyed developing overseas. Um, I got involved a little bit when I was a company with LNG. So it gave me a lot of exposure to traveling to Asia and Europe. I've enjoyed it. Um, uh, and I think part of what I enjoyed doing, developing or you know, solar uh, in overseas is that in some of the countries we're active in, like even Tunisia, they import a lot of oil and, and natural gas. And if we could reduce that import, that means we actually redu reduce their carbon uh, footprint as a country. I see it as a really great benefit from for, for, the, for the whole sector, but also for the, the world to reduce the carbon emission that we have annually. And I think it's really interesting to see a lot of these countries like they compete, which who you twin is gonna be the lowest. Like the lowest one was, you know, $20 per megawatt hour. And that was really, that was big news. Uh, it was $25 and then it went to 20 and it was to 15 and now it's 11 like kilowatt hours. Yeah. I mean, the, and it was like, you know, but these are massive projects, like a thousand megawatt. And, and, and those projects, as I mentioned, like the government will say, hey, here's a plot of land and here's the any connection. We build it for you. Everything is we build the whole infrastructure. Just come and put your put your um, solar plant and then you'll you'll be good to go. So anyway, so it's it's very interesting to see growth in the MENA region, especially in the Gulf countries like in the UAE and Saudi Arabia and other countries where they, you know, they have natural resources. They have oil and gas, natural gas. We're monitoring the sector in the MENA region and Asia and Africa, but with the growth in the U.S. market, it's, it's and what we're trying to do here in the U.S., even though I enjoy doing business overseas, I think we are going to, as a company, really focus on the U.S. market, especially California, especially what. One thing we've heard from folks in your space, especially on the development side, is that transactionally, it's still at a slower pace. Is that still a challenge for you and your company? And, and is it something industry-wide? And, and kind of how do you overcome that? And then B, on the flip side of that, you mentioned obviously what you guys are doing. What's ahead for uh, Ray Energy in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, thank you. This is a really good question. And I, and I do and I. When I was at Calpine, I got involved in natural gas and LNG, and I, I you know, um, things move fast. I, I agree with you in the oil and gas sector, and it's because it's, it's a very established sector. It's been, you know, 50, 60 years now. Uh, I think one of the issues, the challenges that the renewable energy sector, especially solar, is facing, and some degree now energy storage, is this incentive tax credit. There's a bottleneck in our sector where deals could want to flow through and then they get held up because the capacity for the market is, let's say, in the low end, 10 billion, at the high end, maybe 15, 17 billion. That's it. That's what the market can handle, right? That includes residential, that includes CNI, that includes large-scale large solar projects or utility-scale solar projects. So the, 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 the bottleneck here is the ITC. So if for example, if the Congress passes a bill where it allows this ITC to be cash refund, uh, like a, you know, we received it back as, as cash refund, I think, or cash grant as we had a few years ago, I think in 28, 29, 2010, uh, that will open up the market. That will truly open up the market and really get us to, you know, get to that 20 gigawatt and, and, and 30 gigawatts. I mean, the market is ready to explode for a good reason, like really grow. It's really ready to go. Well, we are unfortunately 
seeing is that there's a huge kind of a pipeline and that pipeline can only get through that the ITC. So if the ITC somehow either becomes refundable or it's somehow changed where it allows more capacity for the ITC, the incentive tax credit to expand, I think you will see a lot more growth. But the pace of, of growth in the sector, I, I think in the last couple of years, especially, and that's why we're kind of really shifting to the U.S., is that we are seeing that there's tremendous amount of capital who wants to invest in this sector, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, whether it's energy storage, and and to some degree now geothermal, and and any kind of ESG type of uh, solutions that can really help reduce the the carbon footprint for the country and and for the state. And I think what what you are seeing is the growth there. So how do we grow as a sector? I think we have the capacity to grow and we are able to grow. I think what we need to do is we need to fix this bottleneck that we have, which is this ITC. Uh, and, and the ITC, sec, you know, investors have provided a great service to the sector. So I'm not, you know, attacking them in any way. I just wanted to say that there is that limitation and that's what prevents more projects to come online. That's number one. So Ray Energy, what are we going to do? So I think we're very excited about uh, the Vikings project and, and the success we've had. Uh, you know, in general, a, a lot of your friends in Houston have maybe developed projects in, in California. They know that it's not easy to develop in California. So it's not a developer-friendly state, unfortunately. In certain sectors, it's, in certain areas, it's difficult to develop. But I think there is realization in the state that to really be able to solve this uh, grid issues that we're facing, uh, which caused by wildfires and, and other things and uh, uh, some of the you know nuclear power plants or the last nuclear premise shutting down, we are going to be facing more uh, challenges. But the state itself is really realizing that these challenges are now putting forth amazing amount of procurement that we're going to be looking at. You know, we're looking at maybe 11 to 12,000 megawatt of uh, new generation that will be procured in the next you know five years. I think California is going to be the most aggressive states when it comes to more renewable. And we're very excited about that. And we want to be a part of that. And again, part of it in the sense that we want to come up with solutions, whether it's solar plus energy storage, whether it's geothermal, but be be part of the solution to solve these uh, state challenges. So so we are going to be focusing on that. We are also focusing on the CNI space to see how we could um, kind of um, do more in there. Our company also invested in a solar residential company that is based in the Bay Area. And we want to see kind of the growth of that residential solar. So we want to be kind of, you know, go big in California when it comes to uh, solar and energy storage and other renewables, you know, generations such as geothermal. So that's that's where we see the growth in the next uh, uh, few years. And, And because we're based here, we see this is a this is where we're going to be. And focusing on uh, do less outside WEC. Uh, when I see WEC is you know outside the western areas of the country, focusing on California, focusing on Arizona, Nevada, other markets that we've you know it's our, in our backyard, and do more uh, and just go deeper into the states, whether it's on a, a utility scale, energy storage, and solar, whether it's CNI space, whether it's in residential, really go deeper in those states. 
the, our PPA was the first power purchase agreement that San Diego Community Power did. And we're very excited about that because the first project is selected, and I think they have others, they're all in California. They're all serving kind of very near uh, the load centers. And I think that's really important because we need generation to be close to load. Uh, we were very proud of being the first power purchase agreement that this uh, new going to be one of the largest uh, CCAs in California, be one of the PPAs, that they, the first one to be signed with them. And their growth is they're going to have 750,000 customers. So they're going to be either the second or the third largest uh, LSC in the state. So we're very excited about this partnership with them. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mohammed Alray. As always, you can catch all of the Green Insider podcast episodes over at Google Play, Spotify, Apple iTunes, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do check us out on Apple iTunes, we ask that you leave us a five-star review. Why? Because we promise that you learn more about renewable energy from the podcast than you knew before you stopped by. Once again, shout out to Mike Niemer and the entire eRenewable team. This has been the Green Insider podcast powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Oh, 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 oh,